podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you decided to join us and hope you enjoyed this week's message. There are a great number of passages in the Bible that assure us that all our sins have been forgiven through the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says to us, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.7-8 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Hebrews 10.17 tells us, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. These gospel promises are ours through Christ alone. Our sins are gone. God remembers them no more. Our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. It is a great blessing that Christ died to purchase for us this blessed assurance. His blood was poured out for many for the forgiveness of our sin. Throughout the New Testament, the Christian is assured that they are truly forgiven. But at the Lord's Supper, we receive a special confirmation of that fact. Here we receive further assurances of the forgiveness of our sin. And we also receive further comfort arising from these assurances. As we come to the table, we are seeking to remember that all our sins have been pardoned. It strengthens our souls and encourages our hearts for the coming week. Through it, we realize that all our sins have been forgiven through the cleansing blood of Christ. This fact is sealed, confirmed, and guaranteed to us as we partake of the loaf and the cup. This supper does not give us forgiveness, but it gives us the reminder that we have been forgiven. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, our Father in heaven, we come before you at this time with an open heart and clear mind and remembrance of the sacrifice Jesus Christ made for us on Calvary, to free us from sin and his resurrection on that third day, that gives us the assurance of spending eternity with you. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon this bread and juice that presents the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you for this great sacrifice. In Christ's name, amen. It's great to see you folks out this morning. I got up at 6 o'clock this morning, looked out the window, and looked like a a blizzard. It really looked bad, so cold and snowy, so it's good to see you. We have just maybe a little more than half what we usually have, but it's good to see you here this morning. Heard about a paramedic who was on a local TV show in Dallas, Texas, and he was asked by the host, what was your most unusual and challenging call? And he said, well, recently we got a call from a big church in Texas down there on 11th uh, Avenue. And uh, the usher was so concerned because he thought an elderly man passed away while the preacher was preaching. They could find no pulse, uh, no noticeable breathing. The usher thought he might be dead. And the TV host said, well, what was so challenging about that? And the paramedic said, well, it turned out he wasn't dead. He was just sleeping. But what was really unusual is we carried out four men before we found the right one. (laughs) 
man said to his friend, what color are your preacher's eyes? And the man said, I don't know. When he prays, he closes his eyes. When he preaches, I close mine. <laughs> in AD 30, on, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up in the temple in Jerusalem, and he preached the very first gospel message. And no one was sleeping, I guarantee you, during that message. It was a hostile crowd that had really gathered. But his message was a powerful one. As he preached, said, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. And the Bible says the people, you know what it says, were cut to the heart. And they asked, what shall we do? And Peter responded by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins. And look what happened. Uh, we're not ready yet, are we? Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? This is the first time that they had the opportunity to even hear the gospel message explained, and 3,000 people in that hostile crowd accepted the message. They responded to the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they were added to their number. That is, they were added to the church. Now, these 3,000 responded to the gospel message, and they became active, active in the church. I just say, well, wait a second. How do you know they became active in the church? Because Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves. Devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayers. Those early Christians knew what was important. If they were to grow spiritually, it was going to take some effort in their lives. So they devoted themselves to things that would help them become the men and women that God wanted them to be. They devoted themselves to things that would help them feed their souls and do battle with Satan. Things that would help them keep their focus on God. Help them help others. Help them save their families. They devoted themselves to things that would profit them for eternity. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and prayers. So over the next four weeks, as you noticed in your bulletin, uh, we, we have a sermon series called Devoted. And we're going to talk about the importance of us as a church family devoting ourselves to these things. Today we're going to talk about the apostles' teaching. Please notice that the New Testament church, these new converts, they did not devote themselves to the Old Testament law. They did not devote themselves to the teaching of some rabbi, popular rabbi, preacher of that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, and you might say that seems odd. You would think that they would devote themselves to the teachings of Jesus. Well, here's the thing. By devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to the teachings of Jesus. They were one and the same. Now, this is an important thing for you to grasp. And I've taught this over and over and over over the years. So I hope you get it. And as I say it, you say, oh, yeah, I know that. But remember this. It's so important. On the last night that Jesus was crucified, he met with some of his followers. They celebrated the Passover meal, and then he instituted the Lord's Supper. And speaking of that event, Matthew puts it this way. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. Mark puts it this way. When the evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. Luke says it this way. 
When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. So here it was, the last night of Jesus' life. He was at this supper, the last supper, where he instituted the Lord's Supper. And who was with him? What does the Bible say? Who was with him? Tell me. The twelve, the apostles. Now, Mary wasn't there, mother of Jesus wasn't there, uh, just Jesus and the 12. And, and during the meal, uh, Judas is going to get up and leave, so it's just the other apostles who are going to be there by the time uh, the meal is over. But I want you to notice what Jesus said to the apostles. I wish we could put this on the screen because it's, it's so important. But John chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus said, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. And then verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Verses 25 and 26 of John 14, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I said. Such an important verse. Chapter 16, verse 12 and 13. I have much more to say to you, but not more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Did you get that? Holy Spirit's going to guide who? The apostles into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to make everything known to the apostles. Now chapter 17, uh, verse 14 through 19. I have given them your word. He's praying to the Father now. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not uh, of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Jesus has given the apostles the word. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Set them aside, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now you've got to catch this teaching here. Understand the progression of thought. Uh, oh, we have it back up. Let's see if we look at, look at the progression of thought here. The teachings of Christ come from God the Father. You know, Jesus says, what I'm saying is not just my own. It comes from God the Father. And then the teachings of the Holy Spirit come from Christ. Christ told the Holy Spirit what to teach. And then the teachings of the apostles come from the Spirit. The Spirit got his teachings from Christ who got his teaching from the Father. Therefore, apostles' teaching is what? It is the word of God the word of Jesus, the word that the Spirit gave them, and it's the word of truth. You have the whole Godhead involved here in making sure what the holy uh, apostles get and the apostles teach is the word of God. Remember what Jesus said, I have given them, that is the apostles, your word. Your word is truth. He has given the apostles the truth, his word to speak. Uh, and then Jesus promised the apostles, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I said to you. And then in John 14, 13, he will guide you in all truth. He's going to guide the apostles in the truth. 
Peter didn't stand up one day and say to the apostles, you know what, I think we ought to get together and just see what we remember about what Jesus taught. Matthew, why don't you take some notes on this, and then we'll get together each week, and we'll remember some of the different things Jesus said. When you have the apostles' teaching, it's not them remembering 80% of what Jesus said or 50% or 30% of what Jesus said. The apostles' teaching is 100% the word of God. Coming from the Father, given to the Son, given to the Holy Spirit, given to the apostles. And that's why the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't the teaching of man. It was the teaching of God. And that's why we need to devote ourselves to the Bible. It's not the teaching of man. It's the teaching of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the word breathe there is the Greek word pneuma. It's where we get our English word pneumatic. Pneumatic tools are what? Air-driven tools. This verse is telling us all scripture is given to us by the Spirit of God, the breath of God, the mouth of God. Now, we need to be devoted to knowing the apostles' teaching. Paul writes to the Galatians, and he said, if we, or even an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. We need to be devoted to the word of God. The very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of my prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, what he's saying here certainly refers to the book of Revelation. But this is the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. He's saying this to cover the whole Bible. We should not add or subtract uh, to what's in the Bible. Now, we're reminded that in the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Do not add to what I command you. Do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I will give you. At the very beginning, we're told, don't add, don't subtract. Again, in the middle of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. We are not to add or subtract from the word of God. In order to do that... In order to make sure we comply with what is said, we need to know the word of God. Studying the Bible is a little bit like exercising. It's something most people know they should do, and it's not so hard to get started, but it's hard to keep at it. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have purchased some type of exercise equipment that you no longer use? I bet almost everyone. Maybe you bought the twister. Remember the twister? That was about 18 inches wide, a little piece of wood, and you stood on it and just twisted back and forth. Maybe you bought the twister. Uh, may, maybe you uh, uh, got the Fitbit or something like that, that when you walked, it told you how many steps you took and how many calories you burn and how fast you're moving, your heartbeat. Maybe the Fitbit or something like it. Or maybe you bought a treadmill or a weight machine. And you started out using it, but you just don't use it anymore. Why is that? Was it ineffective? No, it, well, that might be the case if you bought the twister. I don't know. But most of the exercise equipment you buy, it's not that it's ineffective, uh, but it's hard to keep at it. Uh, 
we don't stay with it. Haven't really devoted ourselves to doing it. And the same thing is true when it comes to Bible study. The Bible isn't going to help me transform my life. It's not going to help me be the person God wants me to be if I don't know it. I need to be devoted to knowing the Bible. We also need to be devoted to teaching uh, the apostles' doctrine, uh, to following the apostles' doctrine. James 1.22 says, says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And then verses 23 and 24, Anyone who listens to the word and doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and goes away and forgets what he sees. And the word picture there is an interesting one. You, you, you know what a guy looks in the mirror, sees egg on his face, sees his hairs uncombed, see he missed something here as he shaved. And then what does he do? Does he go back and wash the egg off or comb his hair or shave? No, he just walks away just, and leaves it just like it is. And James says that's what it's like to hear the word of God and not practice it, not follow it. Tony Compoler in his book, Wake Up America, tells about some uh, officials who came from Russia to interview some people in, in America. Uh, they interviewed both children and adults and took notes and they listened intensely. And afterwards, during the debriefing time, the deputy master of education from Russia said, I was surprised when he interviewed the children. I was disappointed in the American children. They are Christians and I expected them to be more concerned about spiritual things but I discovered they are more materialistic than the children in Russia. And Tony writes, the deputy minister of education made a mistake in assuming that because America is called a Christian nation, that everyone in America is a Christian and obeys the Bible. There are many people who do not read the Bible, who have many people who have no idea what the Bible says. They do not believe in the Bible and therefore it does not have an impact upon their lives. But we, as Christians, the Bible ought to have a major impact upon how we live our lives. It's a change the way we think and the way we act and the way we speak. And God's word will change us for the better if we allow it to. I read a testimony of John Dolican. Dolican was the director of National Golf Ministries for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And he tells about growing up in an Irish home and that one day his family went to revival without his dad and, and they got interested in, in church and started attending and soon everyone in the family became a Christian except his father. And he says his father was a brutal man. He despised his father. His father was an alcoholic. One time he came home 15 minutes late from a date and his father met him at the door. He was drunk just at that time. And, and when, the, when he entered, John said his father hit him in the jaw so hard he broke his jaw and put a hole in the drywall. He despised his dad. He said his mom kept praying that his dad would become a Christian. She even laid out a Bible hoping that sometime he would pick it up and maybe read it. He said one time we went again to a revival service. And at the end of the service, the invitation was given. And to our surprise, dad worked, walked forward and became a Christian. Um, he said nobody knew he was even there. He was standing in the back and he was listening. And John said, because of Jesus Christ, it really changed his dad. This man who used to beat his wife became a model husband. He said, this man who never acted like a dad to me became my dad. This man who was my worst enemy 
became my best friend. You see, God's word has the power to change people, to transform people. When it is obeyed, when it is followed, we need to be devoted to knowing what the Bible says, but we also need to devote ourselves to obeying what the Bible says. And then we need to be devoted to sharing it. The New Testament church grew very quickly, grew very quickly in this hostile environment. First day, first sermon, 3,000 people responded. Within a few days, 5,000 men uh, had become Christians. We don't know how many altogether because it doesn't tell us about children or the women. Very shortly after that, you have about 20,000 before the church is dispersed out of Jerusalem, about 20,000 people in the church in Jerusalem. How did they become Christians? By hearing the word of God and obeying it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Salvation is not something that we pick up intuitively. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Uh, you go out and sit under a tree and you begin to contemplate some different things. And there are a lot of things you might be able to understand or come to some type of conclusion about anyhow. You might be able, by sitting under that tree and thinking about things, come to the conclusion that there is a God. That's reasonable. You might well come to the conclusion that there is life after death. Uh, you may come to the conclusion that there is evil and good in this world and that there are some people who are good and that there are some people who are, are not good. But you never on your own are going to sit under the tree and come to the conclusion that you get eternal life by accepting Jesus Christ who took your place upon the cross, took your penalty, died and rose from the dead. You will never understand that intuitively. That message has to be shared with you. You need to get that somehow through the word of God. Because the Bible says we need to believe. Without faith it's impossible to please him. The Bible says we need to confess with our mouth and be saved. The Bible says we need to repent or we're going to be perished. And the Bible says he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. You'll never get that intuitively. You need to read it or you need to hear the word God preached. If after Jesus died and rose and ascended into heaven, the apostles just huddled in the upper room and never went out and preached the gospel, if they just had a secret service together, Christianity would not have spread. Maybe some family members would have got their way in somehow, but we will not have the church today as we do. That's why Peter and John and the rest of the apostles were willing to risk their lives to preach the message. That is why they were willing to be put in jail and willing to be persecuted and willing to make enemies because they knew if they did not tell people how to accept Jesus, the people would not know how to accept Jesus and they would be lost. It is not loving. It is not caring. It is not compassionate. It is not reasonable for any Christian to say, I'm not going to share the good news. Just let people believe what they want to believe. The early church was devoted to sharing the apostles' teaching, the gospel. We need to be devoted to sharing the same thing. So let us make sure that we're a church like that. A church devoted to knowing, a church devoted to following, and a church devoted to sharing the apostles' teaching. Good to see you here this morning. Uh, stay for Sunday school, have a cup of coffee, some hot tea, enjoy the fellowship.
uh, we're going to have a closing song now. Uh, let's stand. And if you have a decision to make for Christ, we encourage you to come forward this morning and make that decision. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join us in person, we have a traditional service at 845 and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Check our Facebook page for evening adult and youth service times throughout the week. 